Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius. Because there will be a world without us. Welcome to Dear Hank and John. Or as I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. It's a podcast where two brothers answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. John. Yeah. They say sometimes that the buttons are the most important part of the calculator, but really, it's what's inside that counts. <laughs> if that If that got a chuckle out of you, then there is something wrong. Oh, there's we, so, there's, we really have entered into a new era of Dear Hank and John. There's something wrong, Hank. We have <laughs> entered into a new era, arguably not just of this podcast. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, um, but what most concerns me is the pod, John, of course. Right. Well, I think that what got me about the joke was that I was like, it is what's inside that counts. And then I was like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. It counts. Yeah, that's yep. That's why it's funny. You did it. Speaking of calculators, Hank, mm-hmm. I haven't been able to think straight in like two months. Sure. Is that the end of the sentence? Yeah, it's <laughs> it's just like it's a it's a little bit that like my experience of being a person has been the opposite of a calculator. Mm-hmm. The the mental clarity that a, that that piece of uh, that piece of silicon appears to have. Right. John, there is one thing that I that I cannot stop thinking about, and it's the fact that the Microsoft is now making a laptop that has an SD card slot that is meant for use by media professionals. And I... Uh, okay, so that's... No, let me... I gotta, I gotta stop you right there, Hank. I'm sorry. Okay. If Microsoft is making a computer that has an SD slot, mm-hmm. where does the dongle go? <laughs> <laughs> Here's the thing, John. Yeah? You won't need another thing to make the computer go. Whoa, 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 whoa. Slow down. I thought everything in 2020 was getting worse. I thought that was the the theme of the year. You're telling me that we're going back to 2016 in terms of computers. Well... And I don't need a dongle. So, but, but I will tell you this, as I was going through the process of building this computer Uh and potentially uh, purchasing it, which I have not done yet, but I'm considering it heavily. It was like, which subscription would you like? Uh, And I was like, huh? And they were like, if you want this computer, you got to pay us a monthly amount. And I'm like, not 
how it works. Yeah, but it it has an SD card slot though. I feel like I feel like having to subscribe to software is the dongle of software. <laughs> no user likes it. Not a single one. No. But no. They, companies love it. Yeah. Companies love it. Anyway, get uh your sock subscription at dftba.com. Do we have a sock subscription? Not yet. I'm very excited about having a SOP subscription at some point. Anyway, we are totally opposed to subscriptions, except, of course, for people who subscribe monthly to our Patreon or uh, people who subscribe to the Bizarre Beast Pin Club or people who subscribe to our virtual book club Life's Library. Mm -hmm. Hank wants to do a SOC subscription. I do. I want to do a SOC subscription really bad. And because... I need one. Here's the situation. I want a sock subscription for a high-quality socks that benefit charity. I want that in my life. And so I, being the per- person who owns a merchandise company, can do that. Yeah. It is a thing I could bring into the world. Because I, like, socks, they wear out, man. I need new socks. And I want good ones. And I want them to look cool. The thing is, one to two pairs of socks mm-hmm. per month yeah. is the perfect sock speed for me. Yeah. Well, let's say one. The thing is, Hank, one pair of socks per month that comes to my house without me having to think about it yeah. actually is like the perfect exactly. sock solution for me. Right. They're always they're always trying to make you buy 12. And I'm like, I don't need 12 socks. I need one I need every one. month. I've thrown away one pair of sock this month and I need one new pair of sock. Yeah. Thank you. And I like the idea of all the money going to charity. I think that's that's yeah, that's right. D- who needs money right now? Big sock? Does big sock need money? It's no. true. There's too many sock billionaires out there, and Hank is going to redistribute that wealth on his own. I'll bring them all down. <laughs> Take down big sock, John. <laughs> I don't know what to say to that. Let's answer some questions from our I've, listeners. I like the fact that we just spent all that time pitching a product that we haven't made. It doesn't exist. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I have been doing a huge amount of sock research. Yeah, there is a lot to know. There's a lot. John, I have a question. Sure. It's at the very top of the list, despite the fact that it is number 34. So I feel like you wanted put, me to I answer I put it this. at the top. <laughs> I put it at the top. <laughs> it asks, Dear Egg and John, in your latest episode, you mentioned the hole in the ozone layer while analyzing Smash Mouth's top hit, All Star and said Smash Mouth was wrong to imply it caused climate change. Apparently, I have a Smash Mouth level of understanding because, like, doesn't it? It's been a while since I've heard anyone talk about the ozone hole, but wasn't it connected to climate change in some way? Good luck pronouncing my name. Signy. Signia. Signa. Signia. 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 Yeah, that sounds right. Or Signy. So, so I, well, I'm not trying to say that the ozone layer doesn't affect the climate, which in change does affect climate change. Um, but it is a different effect than what we think of as climate change, which is the sort of heat trapping effect, where there are several different kinds of gases that are in our atmosphere that absorb radiation as it is re-emitted by the Earth. And so instead of that radiation escaping back out to space, it stays in our atmosphere and then gets redistributed around the planet, into the oceans, onto the land. So you have this net increase in the amount of energy in the system. That is mostly heat, but it is also things like wind and evaporation and all that, all that good stuff. Whereas the ozone layer is mostly a thing that prevents UV radiation from getting into the planet, which does have some effects on how um, how much heat there is in the system. It 
it makes certain places cooler. It changes some uh, some wind patterns, wind currents. But its n- most important effect is that it just like increases the amount of radiation that is potentially ionizing, which means it could hurt people reaching the surface of the planet. So it is a it is a different overall thing, but it also affects the climate. So the TLDR version of this is that Smash Mouth was largely speaking correct in All-Star. It's just that they didn't emphasize what is the driving force of climate change. Right. Which doesn't have, have much to do with the hole in the ozone layer because that's caused by a different set of chemicals yes. being emitted into the atmosphere, correct? Yes. And it's luckily an easier thing to control um, yeah. because the set of the set of chemicals that, that breaks down ozone in the atmosphere is really well known. And also you can release a very few of them and it can have a very large impact. But if you decrease that very few substantially, then that also has a large impact in in uh, rebuilding the whole, which we have mostly done a fairly good job of. There are occasionally times when we find that these chemicals have been started to be released by countries who say that they won't. And we have been pretty good at figuring out when that happens and stopping it from happening. So it's good to have global cooperation for a number of reasons. And the ozone hole is one of them. Yeah, most of the big problems that humans face are not problems that acknowledge or are aware of political borders. Yeah. Which is one of the big challenges of 21st century life. And certainly these days, yeah. How how we address that, I mean, that was a question before 2020, but how we address that has become kind of a, a critical question in the last pretty big. few decades. Yeah. I'm sure we're going to figure out a way. I'm I'm sure we're going to figure it out just fine. <laughs> <sighs> oh, man. I'm sorry. I just glimpsed the void. What are we doing? Are we making I'm a- not sure. I, I think that there... I, are we making a podcast? Yeah, there's a podcast. We have a question from an 11-year-old. Maybe it's not so heavy. Do you want to read that from, from the 11-year-old? It's incredibly heavy. <laughs> oh, no! Dear John and Hank. Before all of the you know, I was really, really close to my best friend. But when we went into quarantine, he doesn't have a phone, so I haven't been able to be in touch with him. Mm. And I've been talking to someone else way more, but I don't want this quarantine to end our friendship. What do I do, random 11-year-old? Oh, man. Uh, well, phone is certainly not the only way to, to get in touch with people. You appear to have some method of emailing, so hopefully... But you, you can- get why this is a bummer, though. Oh, yes. This is a huge huge bummer bummer for random 11-year-old. Yes. Because the way random 11-year-old is most comfortable talking to people is not a way that that they can talk to their best, best friend. And that Mm -hmm. sucks. And I don't want to minimize how much that sucks. One thing to know is that friendships in your life will like sometimes they go on pause for a little bit and then they can come back. And that's the important thing here is that there will be a time when it can come back and to allow it to come back and to be excited for it to come back when it does. And keeping that person in your mind, in your thoughts, if you can send them, you know, an email with a funny thing that you saw or or a letter, something like that. (laughs) I mean, if it's me, and I'm 11. I probably am not going to like write a nice letter, but I could be like, I, I saw this dumb ant and I wanted you to see it. Well, I was going to propose instead of doing that, if you can't send them memes because they don't have access to the internet, yeah, print out the meme 
You know, if you have a printer, <laughs> mail the meme. Print out a meme, <laughs> mail the meme, say, hey, I saw this Pokemon meme and I thought of you mm-hmm. because you're a real Charizard. Yeah. And I miss you. You probably don't want to say I miss you because if I've learned anything about the way that 10 year olds talk to each other, yeah. they never talk about their emotion directly. And it's actually just do it. Just say I miss you. I miss you so badly. And I hate printing out Pokemon memes instead of getting to share them <laughs> no. with you in class directly. <laughs> and I miss you and I miss you. And I hope that you're well. No. And when this is over, we're going to be besties again. No, John, we got it. We got a, a I, I bad. Miss- I think this is not a bad surrogate. I think this is a new method of communication, and it's called mail order memes. And <laughs> don't monetize it, Hank. And it's, resist it's the huge. urge to monetize it's huge. it. Huge. No, don't it's, monetize it. Well, look, we had zines when I was growing up, and those were cool, and they were so hip. Mail order memes is just zines with a different name. I don't want to monetize it. Zines were never about making money. Okay, great. And yes. Yes, mail order that meme, random 11-year-old. Yeah. And then create a service for everybody. Uh, like, everybody's going to be figuring out how to mail order memes in the future because how else are we going to do it? And that's like, how we're going to save the post office. That's what I, that's the thought. Yes, we need some way. If even a fraction of of the memeing that went on on the internet went on over the, the U.S. Postal Service with stamps, yeah. the Postal Service would be saved. And by fraction, I mean a fairly large fraction. Yeah. Hank saves the postal service. That's what that's what I'm here for. I'm here to save random 11-year-olds uh, friendship and also the postal service. So if you have a printer, you're going to print out a meme. If you don't have a printer, I have something even cooler. You, you draw, draw the meme. meme. <laughs> you're going to draw a meme. Bad luck, Brian. I don't know. I don't know what oh, young God. people are into. Wow, John. <laughs> Is that a contemporary one? Is that one super hip? Yeah, that was, it's super fresh. Do yeah, they, do they, right out of the box. Do they TikTok to that one? <laughs> One of the great things about not knowing what TikTok is, Mm -hmm. is that I'm able to use it in sentences where everyone knows it doesn't belong, but I am genuinely unaware of whether or not it's funny, Mm -hmm. which makes it funnier. Yes, it does. I thought about this, actually. Mm -hmm. It's possible that TikTok doesn't exist and that like six or seven people... (laughs) have tricked me into believing that there is an ascendant social media platform that is partly owned by the Chinese government. Like, it could be a practical joke. It sounds fake. Because there are only like seven people who have given me reliable information about TikTok. And one of them was a Wall Street Journal article, but I know that those can be faked. You know, a fact that about TikTok that, that it like makes it sound even more fake? What? The Chinese uh, name of TikTok is not TikTok. Okay. It is the Chinese word for this noise. Is that true? Yep. Why? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, who, nobody knows. <laughs> so it's like the Chinese noise for when your phone has a notification. <laughs> yep. Wow. It's that noise. <laughs> I, I mean, for all I know, by the way, Hank is still lying to me. And this is just an expansion of his larger TikTok lie. But if that's a lie, it's no a one great will lie. Ever know. No one will ever know. It's a great yeah. lie. Was that enough TikTok, John? Or should we TikTok more? I think we've TikTok. I think we've TikTok talk. This next question comes from Chelsea, who writes, "Dear John and Hank, I have a question that's keeping me awake. It's currently two thirty nine a.m. and I can't stop thinking about how many ants it would take to carry a human. Ants mm. are really strong for their size, <laughs> right? So, how many ants would it take to carry an average sized human, Chelsea? Chelsea, I was of course immediately upon reading your question, completely overcome with the desire to also know the answer to this, but also." 
ideally to witness it. Yeah. Now, it's never happened, unfortunately, so we don't have an actual definite number. But what I can tell you is that many other people have gotten this idea stuck in their head and tried to figure it out. So you're not the first, and that's great news for us because that means that we uh, have can do some research. Now, Here's the situation. Can I make a guess? Yes. First of all, John's going to make a guess. First of all, I don't know. I have no idea how much the average human being weighs. So that's a bit of- We're going to go with 150 pounds. Okay. That's a bit of- Okay. That that is helpful. Okay. I am going to guess that it's around 2,480 ants. Wow. You think 2,000 ants could lift a human? No, I think 2,480 ants could lift a human because I think (laughs) the average ant can lift about an ounce. Wow. Uh, uh, You are incorrect. Dang it. Uh, I'm going to guess that so, it's 24,800. I know that it's it starts with a two and a four and an eight. <laughs> I mean, what when we're making approximations like this, it really isn't important um, how the what the first number is. It mm-hmm. is important how many zeros there are. Mm. And there are a lot more zeros than you're thinking. Wow. So we the the stat we hear is is oftentimes an ant can lift 10 times their own weight which is impressive because i cannot lift 10 times my own weight no i can barely lift my own weight well it depends on what you mean by lift i could carry i could carry my own weight i but do it all I the could time certainly not lift it yeah but the thing is john there are many different kinds of ant and this number is different for the different kinds of ants. So first, different ants weigh different amounts. So if you can lift 10 times your own weight, it matters a lot what your weight is. Yeah. And then, of course, some ants can lift like 50 times their body weight, it turns out. So if we take the most conservative numbers that this is a that this is a big ant and it can lift 50 times its own weight, yeah. I cannot tell you whether that is a true thing. It would take 1,360,000 ants wow. to, to, to carry a human. Now, if it was a smaller ant and they could only lift 10 times their own weight, that would be 68 million ants. But either of those, to me, still sounds small. Like, I don't know how many ants are in the average anthill. I'm sure it's not 68 million, but it's a lot. And I feel, but I, like, mainly, I think, like, you could get 1.3 million ants in the same place. So if you could convince them, like, you could get them together. I don't doubt that. You could definitely get them together. But then you have to convince them to pick the person up. They could do it. I think that's the hard part. I think that. Yeah. I think that's the hard part. Also, to be clear, the human would have to be super into the idea, right? Like <laughs> that to me sounds really easy. Yeah, that's so way easier. It's really about. It's really the the question. Really, is how many ants could lift a cooperating human? <laughs> because you put out a you put out a newspaper ad. The answer to how many ants would it take to to lift a yeah. human who did not want to be lifted is a lot. Hundreds of billions, probably. All the ants. I don't think all the ants in the world could lift me (laughs) if I didn't want to be lifted. (laughs) I don't know, man. You know that all of the ants in the world weigh about the same amount as all of the humans in the world? That seems totally plausible to me. Yeah. I think that we are about equally successful, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Yeah. When I look at, like, how humans are doing, I think we're, like, ant-level successful. We're not right, but only recently. Yeah. Like it's only, you know, for a long time, 
but they were doing way better than us. Yeah. Um, I, but I think, John, it would be very easy to find a cooperative human. You put out one podcast ad and be like, hey, do you want to be the first human to get carried by a bunch of ants? Somebody's out there who's like, that is my dream. And I know that, John, because it's like like 50% of me is that person. I am I am most of the way there. I'm not all the way there, but no. I feel like I could be convinced. No, no, no. I feel like I could be convinced. I'm not getting lifted by ants. I'm not going to Mars. I'm not being lifted by ants. I yeah. I can't like the more we talk about it, the more I kind of want to be lifted by ants. I mean, how many times would they bite me? Like if it's if it's less than ten, I'm in. It's not going to be less than ten <laughs> if it requires two point six million <laughs> ants. Look, so it's a lot of ants. It's it's anywhere between <laughs> one point three and six yeah. sixty eight million ants. Yeah, <laughs> but but if we can convince them to pick up a person, we could, yeah. like we should also be able to convince them not to bite the person. Right. We're talking some serious coercion. I think the hardest thing is going to be talking the ants into this endeavor because absolutely, I feel I like the you. ants are going to be like, but why? Yeah, there's always a human who will do something. That's not hard. Right. There's the one thing I know about people. There's a person who will do it. Ants, less. I'm less convinced that they're that they're as dumb as we are, where it's like somebody's going to be like, heck yeah. Also, you have to get a lot of them to cooperate. It's not that humans are dumb. It's that we are more willing to step outside of the expectations right. and more able to step outside the expectations of our species. Mm -hmm. Which reminds me, Hank, what do you think the second best movie fiction about ants ever made is? Because uh, first is it, ants, obviously. <laughs> it seems Switch a see, second. like I feel like it must be a bug's life then. <sighs> I think it might be Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't know if you can call that, if you can call that a, an ant movie. There's definitely good ant in that. It's the only um, thing I remember about the film. I mean, there's also Ant Bully. Uh, I don't know if you remember that one. No. High quality film. John, interim interim project here. Last episode of Dear Hank and John, I asked people to try and name my soda stream. Right. There were lots of good ones submitted. There were several that were just good names, and I'm like, yeah, that's a good name. But there were also some good puns. Uh, Buzz is a person that uh, is a person's name, but it is also the noise that my soda stream makes when it is finished uh, streaming up my soda. There's also Izumi, which is the Japanese word for fountain or spring, which is mm. Christina's daughter's middle name, which is lovely. That's very good. Uh, and I like that. I like that as the, the name of my SodaStream, but also of like SodaStream in general. I feel like it'd be a better name for that company. Yeah. The Latin word for bubble is bula, which is a great name. And uh, I also like, liked the, su the suggestion fits. So I think I'm going to mm. go with fits because it's kind of the noise that it makes. Yeah. And that's I like definitely fits. a name. Yeah. Yeah, I like Fitz. I've always liked Fitz as a name. It's a bold name for a human. Yeah. But I like well, it. Well, it's like it's got to call him Fitz. You got to name him Fitzwilliam, but then you call him Fitz. And then if he wants to in the future, he can become a William or a Will. Oh, that's a good. That's a, I like that solution. And I'm going to give, of course, my SodaStream the same option. I will call them Fitz. But uh, the, their official name will be Fitzwilliam. And if at some point in the future, the SodaStream would like to be called Will or Willie or William, then, of course, I will comply. That's very generous of you, Hank. Let's get back to answering questions from our listeners. This next question comes from Anonymous, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I was cleaning my room this week when I found my old backpack from ninth grade. Mm. Naturally, I began to look through it, and I found some old pens, some notebooks, and an unopened can of Diet Dr. Pepper. Oh, 
because of okay, self-isolation, I haven't pepper? been able to go to the grocery store to buy Diet Dr. Pepper in a few weeks, and I've been seriously craving some. This soda is four years old. Can I drink it or will I die? Thanks, Anonymous. <laughs> uh, don't leave a Diet Dr. Pepper out in the sun. Why? But otherwise, I think you're probably okay. Because as- like aspartame breaks down oh, okay. UV radiation. Okay. Um, uh, well, you'll notice. You'll I know what happens. So I know the answer to this question. Okay. Oh, of course John does. Yeah. <laughs> Usually, I don't have strong science question answers, but with this science <laughs> question, I'm an expert. The answer is that you can drink it and nothing bad will happen to you. Almost very probably nothing bad will happen to you. That stuff it's made of so many preservatives. Like, I saw a video once where Rhett and Link drank soda from 35 years ago, and they were fine. Oh, wow. I mean, of course. I had that idea for a video, and then I, like, looked it up on eBay, and I was like, eh, I'm not going to pay $50 for a soda. <laughs> of course they would. <laughs> and their video is great, by the way. Everybody should watch I'm it. sure. It's much better than if Hank had made the same video. <laughs> so if you drink Diet Dr. Pepper from, like, more than six months or a year ago, it's likely to be flat. And potentially to be like hmm. completely flat. Oh, weird. And so there's a chance that if it's four years old, you're going to crack it open. And instead of hearing that noise that we all associate with happiness mm-hmm. and completion and fulfillment, that delicious bubbling sound, instead you're going to hear like, and that just a, that's yeah. probably a good sign that it's not going to be good you know the perfect experience but it might be well, better I than mean, not having diet dr pepper at all i disagree if if the if the if the if the fizz got out then things can get in and i'm not saying that like uh i'm not saying that you know they they don't they don't allow for the possibility and have ways of controlling the growth of bacteria and fungi but if things if things can get out things can get in i wouldn't drink one that doesn't fizz myself. I Listen, I would not drink a four-year-old Diet Dr. Pepper, Hank, and that's really saying something because I will drink almost any Diet Dr. Pepper. (laughs) My standard for food safety is completely misaligned with my standard for Diet Dr. Pepper safety. (laughs) There is no connection between the two. Yeah. But even I would not drink a four-year-old diet, Dr. Pepper. So the summary anonymous is that when Rhett and Link tried something similar, they were fine. But Hank and John would not drink four-year-old diet, Dr. Pepper. And we would drink most things. I mean, if it if it fizzes when I open it, I probably would drink it. I'd give it a taste. I'd see what's up. I think it's fine. If there's no fizz, I'm worried. Don't take our advice. <laughs> this is a dubious advice podcast. John, this next question comes from Sanjna, who asks, Dear Hank and John, my 2020 goal is to read 100 books, and quarantine has made that easier. However, I'm now reading books faster than I can find new ones. What are your favorite ways to discover new books? Well, when I'm discovering actually new books, like books that haven't come out yet or are just coming Mm -hmm. out, I tend Mm -hmm. to discover them via reviews or friend recommendations. So there are a couple review journals I I read regularly, and I read the New York Times book review. But most of the books I read come from other books I've read, Hmm. because that's the age I am. 
So I feel like I'm not going to be helpful on this front. What do you mean by that? Like, like if I read a Dorothy Sayers novel oh, and I think to myself, yeah. well, that was interesting. I like to read another book by Dorothy Sayers. But when it comes to older books, I usually rely on bookseller friends or librarians I know because they've read a lot more books than I have. And so they can make better <laughs> recommendations than I could make. Yeah, I guess I read a lot of science fiction. And the thing about science fiction is that it's not really telling you about the future. It's telling you about right now. Right. Um, and and that, that is generally it's not always that way. Sometimes I'm, I read like just straight adventure and but you know the the stuff that is deepest and that I like the most is usually about right now. So I tend to read stuff that came out in the last three to five years and I read a lot of stuff that just came out. And I really like that. I really like that experience of reading something that I sort of know was written with now in mind. And and I do that by going to like I I literally type in like 2020 science fiction and there will be lists and they will tell me about the book uh in you know there's a bunch of different blogs that do these lists and there's a lot there's just so many good books uh that are constantly coming out of course the books that are coming out right now are more expensive than the ones that were out like a year ago or two yeah um if they're out in paperback by now but they cost the same when it comes to my uh libro fm or audible subscriptions because it's just one credit so that is how I also consume a lot of book these days. And Hank, while we're talking about books, I really want to encourage people who are shopping for books to go to bookshop.org. They're not sponsoring this podcast or anything. I just think it's a really good way to support your local bookstore in a really hard time. Uh, so it's bookshop.org. It's very easy to use. If you're in the U.S., it is a great way to buy books for yourself and for other people. And that's how I'm going to begin the sponsors of today's podcast, Hank, with a fake sponsor who I really want us to support. <laughs> Which reminds me, John, that this podcast is, is brought to you by bookshop.org, who we can say is one of the sponsors because the sponsors are fake. So you could totally just say it. But we also have, we also have real sponsors, but you'll know when the real sponsor is because our voices change. And also there's like music in the back. You know how to tell. <laughs> <laughs> and also today's sponsor is, is brought to you by TikToking Bad Luck Brian. TikToking Bad Luck Brian. That's possible, I think. Sure, sure. TikTok him. This podcast is also brought to you by several million ants. Several million ants, the minimum number required to move an average human body. And of course, today's podcast is brought to you by Smash Mouth's All-Star. Oh. Smash Mouth's All-Star, <laughs> America's number one way of learning about the meteor men and the hole in the ozone layer. John, we have a Project for Awesome message. This is from Kevin and Grace to Dean and Alex. Congratulations to two of the most wonderful people in the world getting married this year. We're so lucky to have you both in our lives and are excited to watch you take this next step in yours. You are our national treasures. I love it. I love that. I hope that that's a reference to the National Treasure film series. Oh God, I do love I do love them. They're so I hope good. that that's like a sweet inside joke that Kevin and Grace share with Dean and Alex that they've all watched all of the National Treasure films and enjoyed them as. This episode of Dear Hang Jones brought to you by Thrive Market. Thrive Market is there to help you maintain the kinds of habits that you want to have. For me, I need to have the right kind of food in the house, or I will eat whatever. Oreo recently sent me some. 
free fancy Oreos. They were weird. I ate all of them. I ate all of them in a week. And it was a problem. I can't do that. I need to have healthy, good stuff in the house. And Thrive Market can help you have healthy habits. It's a great go-to for all your grocery and household essentials. And the convenience of getting everything online and then like just quickly shipped to the doorstep, it's a huge time saver. Thrive Market carries brands with great ingredients and sourcing methods. They got Amy's, Banza, Burt's Bees, Trobani, Honest Kids, Kind, Mike's Hot Honey, Oatly, Olipop, Poppy, Salt. I've never heard of salt, but it's got two A's in it, so it has to be good. And as a Thrive Market member, you can save money on every single grocery order. On average, you can save over 30% every time. And they also have a deals page that changes every day. When you join Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join, they give. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order, plus a $60 free gift. I enjoyed my $60 free gift. I was surprised by it, and it was the kind of thing I wouldn't have bought. And then now I'm like on the ghee train. They gave me free ghee. And I was like, I don't know what ghee is. But then I was like, oh, this is great. It's like butter, but it's different and more spreadable. <laughs> Go to thrivemarket.com slash dearhank for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash dearhank, thrivemarket.com slash dearhank. Much as Hank and I have enjoyed them. One must, one must assume. All right, Hank, before we get to the all-important news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon, we we do need to issue a couple of corrections. First off, many angry economists and economic students wrote in to let us know that the way that we summarized money for a 12-year-old was hideously wrong and horrible and terrible and that we should go to money hell. Well, um, I think we so did great. I, 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 I can I can summarize this pretty quickly by quoting from an email from Hannah, who is actually very, very nice. <laughs> Unlike some of these emails, Hannah writes that the commodity theory of money, which is this theory of money that we shared, is only one of three popular theories. And there's a lot of anthropological oh evidence that doesn't bear out the commodity theory. The two other major theories are the state theory that a leader or king created coins and put them into circulation to better control commodities and more easily collect taxes. Mm-hmm. And the credit theory that money emerged from interstate trade as a way to track debt. So we are sorry for probably getting <laughs> money wrong. Unless yeah. we just got it more. We got wrong. where money came from wrong, but we got money right. Like, yeah, you know, we got, right. There's lots okay. of things we don't know exactly where they came from, but we still know lots about them. We also got a really long and beautiful email from Abby in which Abby argued <laughs> that Smash Mouth's All Star is in its entirety about climate change. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, a lot of uh, definitely some of it is no. So the argument is that lines like didn't make sense not to live for fun mm. and the years start coming and they don't stop coming is Smash Mouth's way of trying to to express the tension between the life that we want to live on a daily basis and the long term consequences mm. of those living strategies. It does that there is a yeah. disconnect between the rock and roll stars that we are living like on a day-to-day basis and being able to seriously reckon with the long-term consequences of that rock star lifestyle. Yeah, I mean, I agree that it is largely about that. 
I don't know that that has to be about climate change. Like, that is about a lot of different things. And also, you know, we have the line, we could all use a little change. We could not all use a little change all of the time, particularly in regards to climate change, which we could definitely use less of. Well, we could use change when it comes to changing our behaviors to minimize the amount He's of- literally talking about buying gasoline. It's- it's a, it's a pretty strong counter-argument. <laughs> Let's move on to this other email from Brandon, who wrote, Dear John and Hank, I just want you to know that the Death Star is not Darth Vader's home. It's where he works. <laughs> <laughs> this is not the only person no, who let us know about this. No, but Brandon let us know in the tersest way, which we appreciate. Mm-hmm. The Death Star is where he works. He lives in a castle on... Mustafar, the lava planet uh-huh. in episode three, and it is very oh. black, see below image, and then sent us a picture of Darth Vader's house, which, by the way, is called Fortress Vader because he's a very humble person. <laughs> <laughs> we'll put this picture on the Patreon at patreon.com slash Dear Hank and John, but this picture is not the home of a humble person. No, no. It is also much more black than the Death Star. Yeah. So it continues to be true that his house is black. John, you know what happened on Mustafar? And if you are the person who was involved in that historical event, I'm trying not to have any spoilers here. Yeah. Would you want to build your house there? And then he builds a house there. That's a fascinating and choice like, when yeah, you've got wanna... the whole galaxy to pick from. Yeah. Yeah, but in a way, Hank, like going back to Mustafar and building a huge fortress called Fortress Vader is a way of saying, like, I did it. <laughs> I overcame yeah, adversity. That. You thought that I was uh-huh. done, but I'm not done. I'm just getting started. I'm going to build a very, very tall, very, very black home. That's right. I'm going to call it Fortress Vader because that's the kind of person I am. <laughs> I call it. I'm going to call it Big Strong House Me. I don't. <laughs> By the way, I'm renaming my house, Hank. <laughs> Fortress John. Fortress John. Okay, we're moving on to the news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon. There is actual really important news from AFC Wimbledon. It appears that the League One season is going to not be finished. Okay. It is not yet totally clear how relegation will be decided or how promotion will be decided, but that, as it happens, is completely irrelevant to us. It seems likely that three teams will be relegated out of League One into the fourth tier of English football. All of the proposals that I have seen for how this will be done, as far as I can tell, result in AFC Wimbledon not being relegated. Okay. All right. Wimbledon, whether it's points per game or points per game weighted toward how many home games you played or total points... It it seems like in all of these ways, Wimbledon finishes just outside of relegation, which I think will mean that this is the third consecutive season that Wimbledon has been the worst team not relegated out of League One, (laughs) which is an incredible accomplishment. I mean, it is. It really is. I mean, Wimbledon have the smallest stadium, not just in League One, but would have the smallest stadium in League Two. And the fact that we somehow find a way year after year to not get relegated (laughs) is amazing. 
Now, I'm sure it gets frustrating after a while mm-hmm. to see your your team lose two games for every game they win. But oh my gosh, it's yeah. So that is what it looks like is going to happen. This is not the way anyone obviously wants to finish a season. And I feel awful for the teams that will be relegated because, yeah, I mean, in the case of two of them, it was inevitable. But for Tranmere, which is the team right below Wimbledon, it's super unfair. And this is mm-hmm. this is a terrible way of doing it. I don't know that there is any more fair way, though. Right. It's just a bad it's a bad situation. Mm -hmm. And obviously, you know, among the bad situations, this is one of the least bad ones. But it's a bad situation. But it it does seem like Wimbledon are not going to get relegated this season, if you can even call it a season. Well, um, I suppose that is good news, at least for you. Right. Instead of just playing the season all over again, I guess. Yeah. So there's there's some argument that the season should be voided. And other other countries have done that, where they just say this season didn't exist. Mm-hmm. But that, of course, punishes the teams that were going to get promoted. Yep. And in a couple cases, punishes teams that basically already had achieved promotion. Mm-hmm. So there's no, in some ways, there is no fair way to resolve it. Right. Hank, please tell me that we are still going to Mars this stupid year the plan is that we will still go to mars this stupid year uh we're not that's not what my news is about my news is about um the high-rise orbiter which is uh is tastes very pretty in good pictures of the surface of mars it's the high resolution image science imaging science experiment uh on the mars reconnaissance orbiter so it's been doing tons of science for a long time and uh one thing that it did recently is it took so because it, it can shoot like straight down and then you can see straight down, but it can also shoot like across the surface a little bit if it mm. aims like not directly down below it. And so it can actually take pictures of the sides of features. And it took uh, pictures of a cliff face um, inside an impact crater. And that cliff face was created more by rivers more than 3.7 billion years ago. And from those images, we can tell that the cliff face is made of sedimentary layered rocks, meaning they were f- it, those layers were formed by uh, water depositing minerals uh, over a long period of time. Wow. And they were also able to determine that those rocks were uh, formed by rivers that were around and active for a long time, probably anywhere from tens to hundreds of thousands of years. So that's obviously telling us more about the past watery world that Mars was, and that is very exciting and also very exciting for the planned launch of the Rosalind Franklin ExoMars rover from the European Space Agency, which will be going and looking at these kinds of areas to learn more about sedimentary rocks, to learn more about Mars's ancient watery past. So there's a pretty good chance that Mars was once like really alive Full of life. Yeah. Life, yeah, I mean, life like, that would have been visible via the instruments that we've already used to observe Mars. Uh yes. Um certainly it would be it would have been observable in atmospheric data. So like just like the the stuff that life makes, biosignatures is what yeah. it's called. Like it's just different chemically. But um, we're kind of getting that biosignature in the form of the methane clouds, right? So like it's possible well, that Maybe. Yeah, maybe. We, don't we don't know, know. what's up with the methane. Right, we shouldn't make too many guesses about the methane. We don't see the kind of biomarkers that, you know, we would if we were living on Mars looking at Earth. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Or if just like life or plants or anything or even bacteria. But like it's all it's 
it's much more likely that uh, there was just single-celled life on mm-hmm. Mars yeah. uh, because the that was, the, was a long, long time on Earth. Everything was just single-celled and it, right. it took a long time for colonial stuff and then like actual multicellular organisms to happen. So right. uh, one thing that we are pretty sure of is that that's a, it, is that it would be single-celled. It wouldn't be like there's a bunch of plants and stuff. That would be easier to spot in the fossil record, but like, who knows? Like it's, you know, there's, there's we, we have been to a very small portion of that planet. A very small portion of that planet has come here in the form of meteorites for us to study. So it is very difficult to know until we have a lot of active research. One thing I like to imagine sometimes is that I know there aren't any people on Mars, but I like to imagine that there have been people on Mars the whole time and that they've been looking <laughs> at us the way that like we're now trying to look at Mars. Yeah, yeah. And so for a long time, like for billions of years, they were like, boy, they just really are not making a lot of progress over there. You would think that they'd be doing better with all that liquid water and it's oh, just man. so Looks much so much chemical potential there and and they can't seem to get a second cell or even a eukaryotic cell. And then for the like and then for the like the last 60 million years, they must just be so impressed. <laughs> Like, what is happening? Even after that yeah. like, meteor hit, like w- we found a way to keep going. They must be like, the, you know, this planet, they're really onto something. Yeah, we got a lot of resiliency, that's for sure. Uh, but it's it's been interesting the whole time. Check out PBS Eons on YouTube. It's really good. <laughs> History of life. It is so good. All right, John, thank you for making a podcast with me. Um, it's a pleasure as always. We are off to record our Patreon-only podcast this week in Pretty Good Stuff. Um, and we'll also be putting up some stuff on our Patreon that you can see without being a patron, not a requirement. John, this podcast was edited by Joseph Tuna Medish. It's produced by Rosiana Hals Rojas and Sheridan Gibson. Our communications coordinator is Paolo Garcia Prieto. The music you're hearing now and at the beginning of the podcast is by the great Gunnarola. And as they say in our hometown, don't, don't forget, forget to be, be awesome. awesome.